Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to this uh, professional development webinar brought to you uh, by a unique partnership of the Fashion Network and e-commerce club. Uh, today's webinar has been very kindly sponsored by our partners at Avalara, um, whom without their support, we wouldn't have been able to make this uh, all free for you today. So thanks to you guys for supporting us. Um, today's webinar is going to be a, a, a bit of an open discussion because obviously this is quite a mutable feat, uh, the topic of, uh, of, of adapting to Brexit. So you might have to bear with us today. Um, just a few house uh, rules, if uh, I may. Uh, if you are watching this uh, at a later date on our YouTube channel, then please, uh, if you would, um, and if you really like it, then please share. Uh, if you're watching this live with us today in Zoom, uh, then there is a chat box uh, feature. Um, if you can leave any comments or any questions that you may have, pop them in there. Um, please try and keep them brief if you can, because the longer it is, uh, the more difficult it is for us to read out. Or the alternative is there is actually a raise your hand feature. If you do have a question that's particularly complex, uh, you, you can raise your hand and we'll put your audio feed live and you'll be able to speak to our panelists uh, direct. So, that's um, a little bit about me. So we want to delve straight into the content. But before I do, I would like to uh, just introduce our panel. So uh, today we've got a pretty wide spread of expertise. So I'm just going to hand over to each of them. If you can just give us a sort of a minute each of who you are and what you do. So Paul, can I come to you first? Just let us know uh, who you are and what you do. Certainly, Dale. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, I'm Paul Alger from the Fashion and Textile Association and for the last few years uh, Brexit and preparing for Brexit has been uppermost in all of our minds. Um, very very briefly everything has changed as all of our companies are finding. There is now a hard border uh, in the North Sea and the Channel between the UK and the EU on one side and in the Irish Sea uh, between the UK and Ireland on the other. So whatever you take away from anything that I may say this afternoon, if you remember one thing, it's please check your logistics and have a look at where your production is and where your customers are, because that's going to be a key issue. Um, there are solutions to a lot of the problems that you will face, and you'll be hearing from people this afternoon that will be able to supply some of those solutions. Um, and again, just bear in mind, um, we're now living in a world of trade agreements, and the word free trade agreement, which we use, is sometimes slightly misleading. All of these trade agreements, be it the UK-EU free trade agreements or the UK-Canada, for example, or UK-Tunisia or Turkey, all of them are based on rules of origin. So if your goods meet the rule of origin, the potentially, uh, they potentially will travel on a duty-free basis, but they will probably attract VAT into the EU and they may attract other issues uh, going forward. So, Trade agreements tend to benefit those countries that tend to produce raw materials. Um, so places like Spain, Portugal, uh, for example, benefit disproportionately. So do places like India, for example. So please just bear in mind that whatever you do to mitigate the problems with the border also need to be looked at in the context of your VAT and tax liability, which you'll be hearing from from our next speakers. Yes, we'll be hearing lots about that today. Um, uh, thanks, Paul. Um, I'm just going to come to Divya next, uh, then Yanti, and then I'll, 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 I'll let James introduce because you've got a couple of slides as well. So Divya, just tell us uh, who you are and, and, and where you come from. Thank you, Dale. Um, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Divya Patel-Smith. I'm an international trade advisor for the Department of International Trade. I've been an advisor for 19 years. Um, and my role is to help businesses to export. So no matter how small or large the businesses, we help them to find new markets overseas, 
um, help them to get into the market, find buyers. We also do a number of events which are free, um, as well as access to various funding and grants. Thank you, Divya. Yanti, could come to you next. Yes, thanks, Del. Um, so my name is Yanta. I work um, at Avalara as a regional sales manager. And I started my uh, my career actually in VAT compliance. So I start, uh, I've been specialising in VAT for about five years now. Um, and over the past few months, I've been working with businesses uh, of all shapes and sizes to uh, um, try and, um, uh, you know, <laughs> come to the uh, bottom of, of Brexit and, and the implications of uh, um in the tax world. So um, hopefully I'll be able to clear up some VAT questions around Brexit and, and what comes next. Thanks, Ianti. Uh, and James, uh, do you just want to tell us a little bit about who you are and then what we'll do is move on. You've got a couple of slides just to 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 to, to explain what Avalara is. So sure. Thanks very much, Del. Hello, everyone. Nice to be with you all this afternoon. Um, my name is James Bright. I'm part of the Avatax team based here in Brighton in the UK. And um, yeah, really in my sort of day to day, I'm involved in the technology side of things, um, specifically um, our item classification service, which is uh, an assignment service of for HS codes and also with Avatax, which can be used to calculate um, customs duty and import tax. So if Dale, if you could pop up the slide for us, uh, that's everything I've just explained, that's me, but yeah, moving on, just to sort of show you the end picture of what we try to help our customers achieve. Um, and it, you know, it's worth mentioning that we do work with a lot of um, customers in the in the retail sector who are shipping cross-border and you know do want to ensure that they could be transparent with their pricing therefore displaying the full landed cost and and that's where Avatax comes in it's a it's a it's a tax calculation engine that takes into account the duty and tax thresholds of the destination it takes into account uh, the HS code of the item being sold and it applies duties and taxes accordingly so what this means for the customer is they can see the, the true landed cost and they're not met with any nasty surprises from the customs authorities um, informing them that there's additional charges to pay. So that's uh, that's the type of conversation I have. And that's the, the challenge that, you know, Avatax is, is, is helping retailers overcome. You're kind of like the paracetamol of international tax compliance, I think. Try to be, yeah. Try to solve a few headaches, <laughs> it's fair to say. Absolutely. Oh, hopefully we will today. Uh, we've only got um, an hour to to, uh, to to have this discussion. So if we can try and be as brief as possible with our answers and stuff, because there's so much to cover. Um, like I say to everybody out there listening, this is your webinar. So any comments or questions, leave it in the chat box. Um, we'll try and uh, do our best to answer as many. And obviously, if not, then uh, we can connect you with all of our speakers today. But the first question I'd like to pose, and I'd like to come to you first, Paul, because obviously we've had frantic conversations over the last few months, and I've had frantic referrals from various different members of ours. Can you just sort of set the scene and just tell us what have been the main challenges that you've faced uh, UKFT, what are sort of the big challenges at the moment, particularly within sort of the apparel and fast-moving consumer goods sector? Sure, absolutely. Um, I think the biggest problems that we found were a disconnect between what companies thought was going to happen with relationship to the UK-EU um, agreement and what actually has come. I tell you that um, UK Fashion Textile Association produced a Brexit checklist in 2019, and it was based on the idea of a no-deal Brexit. Well, 97% of that document is still in the current version. Um, this deal is a much thinner deal than I think most of us were expecting. Um, free circulation of goods has gone effectively, and that is a, a major change. Um, a lot of companies, and this was a surprise even for us to a certain degree, have had a lot of difficulty getting their heads around what the rules of origin mean for their products. And I mentioned earlier on that trade agreements rely on rules of origin. So we've always tended to assume in fashion and textiles that if you cut something and sew something, then it automatically becomes origin conferred where the last transformation took place. 
And what we're finding is in all of these trade agreements, not just the UK-EU trade agreement, that that is not the case. Sometimes, it will, often it will depend on where the fabric came from, for example. Um, some trade agreements will have what's called accumulation, so they will recognise the inputs, some of them won't. And the UK-EU agreement doesn't recognise most of the accumulation. So, for example, this morning we're working on a document about the UK-Tunisia agreement. You can import and export goods between the UK and Tunisia and Morocco, for example, and indeed from Turkey. But the moment you take those goods into the European Union, they don't qualify under the rules of origin. They don't meet the rules of origin. So, again, one of the things that we've spent the last three months working on pretty intensively, I would say, is getting companies to understand the rules of origin for their product, whether they qualify for under those uh, trade agreements. Um, and to give you an example, um, I was on a call a couple of weeks ago where everyone was getting terribly excited about the US-UK trade agreement, which we're very excited about as well. But our expectation is it will be very much set to a narrow set of rules of origin so that a lot of companies will not qualify if, for example, their fabric's not coming from British sheep. So if you're growing wool on British sheep, then you're probably going to do well in most of the UKs or, or using British leather, you're probably going to do quite well in all of these trade agreements. But if you're importing fabric from the EU or further afield from Turkey or China, everything becomes a lot more complicated. So has that been the main issue for you then, Paul, is the rules of origin? That's Rules of origin, I would say, is the main one. And then how do you get around that? So again, logistics, um, and, and I'm sure we'll be talking a lot about logistics. Um, you, know, you may not qualify for the UK-EU free trade agreement, but some companies might qualify for other free trade agreements. So logistics can help you to not just deal with the UK trade agreements, but some of the other international ones, but that creates tax problems that companies don't think about. The other thing that I think is coming down the line is there are certain things that UK companies can do in the EU uh, under this deal, and there are certain things that we can't. So anyone that was going to plan to have a pop-up shop, for example, during Paris Fashion Week, will find that they aren't allowed to do that. It is specifically forbidden under the, under the deal. It's, you, know, you cannot sell to the general public direct at an event in the EU as a British passport holder. But if you have an EU passport holder, maybe you could. Interesting. Um, before I uh, come to James and uh, Yanti, um, Divya, can, can you just, does, does your experiences uh, reflect, Paul, what's the main issues you've having to deal with recently since January? Yes, I um, echo what Paul said. It's all been about rules of origin, understanding what um, does comply under the rules of origin rules. Um, we've also had quite a lot of queries in regards to VAT and duties and what duties apply. Um, and then also understanding about uh, bonded warehousing, which businesses haven't had to think about before. Um, is it something, you know, and start looking at that, setting up in the UK, um, using fulfillment centres as a way of selling goods around the um, EU. So a lot of the queries is trying to overcome this barrier of um, duties and tariffs and understanding what needs paying um, by when and all the different um, invoicing uh, procedures also that each of the countries have taken on and the formatting because every every country is different in Europe um, the formatting has to be in one way in Poland and another way in Germany so that's also been an issue um, so yes um, echoing what Paul said and what I've just mentioned those have been the main concerns from businesses. Thanks Davia uh, you mentioned duties and customs there and I'd like to come to James next and ask you a little bit how things have changed there but before I do is is there anything that, that either you or Yanto have, have, have experienced outside of tax and duties with your clients that you'd like to add to what Paul or Divya said um, if you don't we'll come on to the duty questions but 
That's a good point, Dale. Um, I guess one of the main topics of conversation that pops up for me is surrounding HS codes. A lot of companies realise that their HS codes are not HS accurate. codes? Sorry, I know yeah. Paul and Divya are not in, but I'm... Commodity of... codes. Okay. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, commodity codes, otherwise known as HS codes. Yeah, essentially a lot, lot of um, companies are coming to us and are, you know, looking to either audit their existing codes because that's, that's an important consideration when now shipping cross-border into the EU customs declarations need to have um, the appropriate HS code on there so that the goods can move through customs and also to ensure that uh, you know duty and taxes is, can be calculated accordingly so I'd say that's uh, just one of the sort of primary conversations that that pops up um, yeah there's another HTS codes yeah so it's, it's known and, and I was speaking to a customer the other day tariff codes there's many ways of referring to it but yeah essentially all things codes is uh, is definitely a a part of the conversation when it comes to Brexit and how to kind of manage things. And then just elaborate a little bit more on how whole duties and customs things have, have changed now since January. Can you just sort of summarise a little bit of, of uh, how things have evolved? Yeah, sure. Yanta, do you want to grab, grab that one? Um, before I do, can I just add, uh, um, because uh, I think customs very much your um, expertise, James. So um just wanted to add with regards to the um, the VAT side that was touched on uh, before. Um, there's a lot of new rules um, with regards to whether or not a business may need a registration in the EU, um, in addition to their UK registration, depending on the type of transaction. Um, but to, to make things even more complex, since the UK is now a non-EU country, most EU countries um, require fiscal representation um, for, for non-EU businesses. So um, thanks to the free, uh, thanks to the um, trade agreement, there is, um, you know, a lot of countries have waived that requirement, but there are still um, a, a quite a large number of EU member states that require fiscal representation for UK businesses. Um, so, you know, even when you think that you've, uh, <laughs> you've got everything covered, you know where your VAT obligations are, um, in some countries it's simply not possible to register uh, for VAT unless you go via fiscal representative. So um, just wanted to highlight that, um, you know, as if we needed any additional complexity. Well, we've got a question here, and I don't know I'd like to pick this up actually. How do we easily register for a one-stop shop and which is the best country in which to register so one-stop shop is something that's uh, um it, it, it um it's going to come into place on july 1st of this year hopefully uh, if everything goes well and uh, there's an important distinction to be made between one-stop shop and um, import one-stop shop or, or ios um so one-stop shop only applies to goods that um, are already in the eu so if you're warehousing in the eu um then you can apply for one-stop shop. So you don't need to be tracking your distance selling thresholds anymore. Import one-stop shop is then for goods that come from outside of the EU and are sold to um, consumers within the EU directly. Um, one-stop shop isn't open yet for non-EU businesses, so there's nowhere to apply there. Um, import one-stop shop, to the best of my knowledge, uh, only two countries have opened applications there, uh, which is the Netherlands and Slovakia. Um, even though you know the it was supposed to, applications were supposed to open on the first of this month, um, we're only seeing them in in Slovakia and the Netherlands. Um, and uh, I believe that it's still not been determined whether UK businesses are going to require fiscal representation in order to register um, for these schemes. Um, and, you know, th there's all, th all sorts of things to, um, to consider with regards to one-stop shop and import one-stop shop. Um, I'm seeing here the um, um, clarity regarding the de minimis um, rules. So that is going to disappear. The 22 euro um, roughly threshold is going to disappear. Um, and now you're going to have to uh, follow different rules um, if you're selling consignments over 150 euros or under 150 euros. So if you're under 150 euros, then great, you can apply for um, the simplification. Anything over 150 euros, unfortunately, is a whole different set of rules that need to be followed. Okay, thank you. Um, we're getting quite a few specific questions here, um, one of which is what does fisc fiscal representation mean? Do you just want to, you know, just explain that briefly for us, Yanta. 
Yeah, of course. So fiscal representation basically means that you can't register your business directly. Um, you have to um, you have to apply via a fiscal representative who is based in that country and represents your business in front of the tax authorities. So they give you the ability to trade in that country as if you were based in that country. Um, but um, the, the the tax authorities, for all intents and purposes, will only um, communicate with the fiscal representative and not with your business. Um, and it comes with a whole host of different issues like bank guarantees, um, you know, joint liability when it comes to VAT, etc. Okay, so there are other specific questions in chat. If either of you or any of you are able to sort of respond in chat, that'd be great. Sort of like the specific ones that are easy to answer. Um, some of them are... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've been talking a lot, so maybe I'll let someone else talk and uh, I'll answer some questions in the chat. I've just seen a comment saying, oh my God, um, I think this is setting the tone for the for the talk, really. Um, I'd quite like to pick up, um, there was an interesting question here, are there any benefits for the fashion industry from leaving the EU? Um, I haven't found any yet. Um, potentially there will be longer term benefit if we can restart UK manufacturing, going back to my comments about rules of origin, but those will not happen on their own. They will require a certain amount of encouragement. Um, and I'm not yet seeing, um, I'm not yet seeing a vision that would suggest that that is going to happen anytime soon. Um, the only other one that we come across is the UK obviously has the ability to decide that it wants to uh, make children's wear VAT free in the UK. Obviously, that was always something that we did, but um, there will be more, there will be perhaps more flexibility for the UK government to use tax in the UK to promote certain parts of the economy. But that's about it. I'm clutching at straws after that. Well, there's a couple of questions and stuff about VAT, which we're going to come on to in a little bit. And obviously we've got our experts here for that. But um, I want to talk a little bit about customer customer satisfaction and customer expectation. James, can I come to you? Just tell us a little bit about how that's changed. Um, and we will try our best, everybody out there, to answer as many questions as possible. But I'm thinking perhaps because there's some quite a few specific ones, what we might do is connect you with James and uh, Yanta with any specific VAT questions afterwards. That might be a way around this. But um, anyway, James, tell us about customer expectations, how that sort of changed. Yeah, look, I mean, everything's changing at the moment. And and as cross-border sales, e-commerce, everything's expanding, you know, the, the level of um, e-commerce trade has, has increased, you know, customer expectations um, have risen as people are, people are more, um, more experienced in buying from retailers across border. And one of the expectations is, is to be met with the landed cost. So understanding what the full cost of an item is with no hidden duty or tax uh, prices, uh, costs um, uh, not um, conveyed at time of checkout. So that's, that's the key the key kind of area, the key expectation that we're seeing um, from consumers and from the research and the statistics, you know, one of the main reasons for a cart abandonment is if um, customers are unsure of the of the full landed cost. And it's it comes down to things also, you know, shipping options, delivery times, um, payment options. But um, yeah, the actual full landed cost, again, is, you know, just a key part of, of what customers are expecting to see in their checkout. Explain to me exactly, then, um, in layman's terms, if you can, um, for me, yep. much of the audience. So what's changed in the sense of before Brexit and, and now in terms of the experience? So if I'm buying something from the EU, um, yeah, what's so exactly changed? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're hearing examples of uh, our customers who are having customers uh, who are now um, just seeing um, new duties and taxes applied to their to their transactions. And, you know, the, the, the cost is becoming not viable to make a purchase. Um, and there's, there's this lack of clarity on that. And also when it's presented to them in, in an unexpected manner, that's when um, when the problems are starting to occur. Whereas beforehand, it was quite seamless is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it, and it, again, it's, 
you know, if you're presented with an unexpected bill, you know, you're at home one day and you open up an envelope and you've got a speeding ticket, it's normally it's unexpected and uh, not that it makes any better paying a speeding bill if you if you see the um, the policeman on the side of the road, but at least you know it's coming. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of with expectations now, you know, customers of ours shipping on DDP terms, which is delivery duty paid, um, they're the ones who are sort of seeing them you know, higher level of um, customer satisfaction. So basically the experience is, it's much more like if you're buying from the USA or other elsewhere in the world than effectively. Yeah. And I always re- relate it back to uh, in the old days when you walk into a shop and you see an item for a hundred pounds with the, you know, with a price ticket on it. And if you took it to the till and then they said, no, that'll be 120 pounds. You didn't know why. Um, leaves a sour taste in the mouth. Um, there is, um, I, I'm going to come on, I'm going to have to come on to tax because I think, you know, we might be a little while there. So, but before I do, there is, there is a question here about what EOIR um, uh, from IMI. Um, I wanted to order from the US and was advised I would need an EOIR economic operations register number. Can you explain what this is? Can anyone briefly just explain what this is and then we'll move on to talk about that. Yeah, I can take that one. So, and yeah, an uh, ERI number um, is just a, a number that you need in order to import or export from the EU um, or the UK. Um, so, um, up until the 31st of December of last year, you could use your GB ERI number to import um, or export from the entire European Union. Since the 1st of January, you need both a GB one and another one in the EU um, in order to bring anything into the EU or bring anything into the UK. Thank you. Anybody else want to add to that or, you, or, or can we move on? <laughs> right, uh, James, right, let's talk about uh, tax then. So I've, I'm involved with another project myself uh, and this is uh, made what little hair I've had on my head Go, I think just trying to get our head around the whole VAT thing. Can you just sort of, I know it's really hard to try and sum things up, but can you just sort of try and take a top line approach on how things have changed with regards to VAT? Uh, maybe uh, it might be worth either yourself or someone else just explaining exactly how international VAT works. Firstly, before we go into how it's changed in the EU, I don't know if you can just sum it all up for us a little bit, because my understanding of it is obviously governments need to tax people, uh, tax is a tax on a trade effectively in that territory uh, so obviously when we buy from overseas we either have to pay the duty or we pay the tax of that nation obviously with the EU we managed to iron out a lot of that can you just tell us a little bit how this has all changed in the EU since the last few months there's an easier way to do it Look, in terms of understanding your VAT obligations with Brexit and where you need to register, um, that's, yeah, probably be a good one for Yanta sitting on the VAT compliance team. So maybe I'd, I'd defer that one over to Yanta. Um, yeah, sure. If you're asking me, Dale, to explain international VAT in a nutshell, it's impossible. Um, as you said, um, you know, the, everyone's heard the, um, the saying, there's two certainties in life, death and taxes. Um, every country is going to tax um, as much as they can. Um, and no, no one country really does it the same. It's supposed to be standardized within the EU, but it is in no way standardized across EU member states. So, you know, we can't even uh, come to sort of one um, type of VAT within, um, or one type uh, of how to report VAT in the EU, let alone the rest of the world. Um, but basically, if you're buying EU, uh, if you're buying goods as a consumer, you are likely to pay um, taxes on that. The rate uh, of taxation will depend on a number of things, such as the country where you're based, the country where your supplier is based, and, and, and everything in between. Um, so maybe I can just, uh, I, I see a question here about um, VAT and duties payable on UK to EU shipping. Um, so if you if you want to um, to act or, or if you want your customer to not have to pay any additional charges, what you want to be doing is um, selling on a delivery duty paid basis or DDP basis. Um, if you want to reclaim the import VAT that you then pay, you will have to act as the importer of record and you will then have to register for VAT in the individual member state where your uh, where your customer is based or where the goods cross EU borders. Um, 
You can then reclaim any import VAT, which is great, uh, you know, for your customer um, because they won't be facing any additional charges. For them, it will look like as though they're uh, buying something from a company um, in their own country. For you, however, that comes with a whole host of tax implications. So it, it's really um, a balancing act between, you know, the, the customer experience on the one hand and then the, the implications it has for you as a business on the other hand. So I don't know if anyone wants to add anything there. Paul, you're nodding quite enthusiastically there um, and smiling at the same time. Um, I was, I was, I was, agree I was agreeing because I think it's that you know the, the tax and the VAT is is one of those things that trips most companies up. There is, um, there is a there is a presumption within the UK and the EU now that consumers should be paying VAT at the rate that applies to where they are based as opposed to where the goods are coming from. And again, that comes as a bit of a shock to a lot of UK businesses. And the reason for this is because uh, traditionally the, the VAT was paid when the goods crossed the border into the EU. But of course, you know, the Greeks and the Germans and the Italians all thought, well, we'd quite like our citizens to be paying VAT at our country rate in our country. Um, interestingly, for goods coming into the UK from the EU, the presumption is the same. HMRC is very, very emphatic that UK, UK consumers should be paying UK VAT at the UK rate for goods that they buy online in the UK. So there's a change of mindset going on, I think, and, and certainly the, the changes of rules, the one-stop shop rules that are coming out in, in, in July are intended, my understanding is, to make sure that happens. Um, Divya, back at the right time. Did you want to, did you hear that? Did you, I wanted to come to you next to see if you had anything to add. Yeah, sorry, I had to turn my camera off because I had to sneeze. Um, <laughs> about that. Um, Is it this debate that's making it? <laughs> making... <laughs> um, so, I mean, sorry, in regards to what um, Paul was saying about it, it that you do have to have a representative in regards to the goods. And if you want to avoid paying duties, you would then have to have a bonded warehouse or some kind of warehousing within the um, country. That's one way you can get the goods going directly from uh, where they have been made into the EU and distributed across the EU. Um, sorry, not, I'll start again with that because I'm confusing myself there. From the country where they're getting made, you could get a bonded warehouse in the UK um, if they're in a bonded warehouse in the UK, even though they're physically in the UK, that doesn't mean that you have to pay duties and taxes on that. Um, they are in a HM uh, Customs and Revenue bonded warehouse and they can be sent out from there across the EU. That's another option that you can look at. So even though physically they are in the country, they, for tax purposes uh, and duties purposes, they're not. So... My summary so far, half an hour in, is this is hard. <laughs> this is difficult. Obviously, um, both uh, your organisation, Divya, and yours, Paul, are there to help businesses across the board. And obviously, Avalara is there to help things easier. But is it fair to say that if you're a big organisation with the right resources, then Brexit is far more manageable? But if you're a smaller organisation, then perhaps it's getting a little bit cost prohibitive to sell into the European market. Is that a fair assumption to say, Yanta? Can I come to you uh, on that one? That's definitely been my experience in the past, uh, over the past few months of working with uh, um, with businesses, like I said, of all um, different sizes. Um, you know, if you're a very large company with a lot of funds, then you can easily register in each individual member state and give your customers that um, uh, excellent customer experience. Whereas, you know, if you don't have uh, the funds to be registered uh, for VAT in, in, in that many different um uh, countries or you don't have the funds for for additional software to to calculate the landed cost then how are you going to compete with eu um uh, eu based businesses um you know it's it's very very hard so yes it, it will definitely make a make a difference yeah 
So what would you suggest then, and this is going out to anyone here, what would you suggest if you are a certain threshold in business? How would you adapt now? Then would you just ignore the European market for the time being until you figured out? Um, I can see a few grimaces and uh, <laughs> a few frowns. So what would you suggest, uh, Divya? Can I come to you maybe on this? What would you suggest? Um. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at a few of the questions as well. Um, so I'll come back to there's a there's a question there about shirts, um, manufacturing shirts in Europe. So I'll come back to that. Um, in regards to Europe, um, it really depends on who you what product you're selling and is it a big market for you. Then I wouldn't just say just stop because obviously that's going to impact on your sales. Um, and it also if it's getting too much for you in regards to the processing of the duties, pick your top three markets um, or top two markets and try and tackle them first, because you've got to understand that you've got over, you know, 27 markets to kind of now individually have to look for. Um, so that does uh, get more complicated. And so what I would say is it, it, it varies. It's not a, one answer will fit everyone. Um, you, it will depend on how much you rely on selling into Europe. Is it a big market? If it is, where are the goods going within that market? And you'll have to then narrow it down and all kind of like funnel it down in some respects. Um, in that bit are we coming back to the questions that are coming in um what i was going to suggest is there's a lot of questions coming in here and i and, and, I, and I think it's going to i don't think we're going to be able to answer them all so there's two options here one we have a networking uh, session after this but also i know divvy and paul you've got to dart off straight out after this at three um what we can do is share your details because obviously you offer services part of part of a governmental thing so we'll share your details for those who've got very specific questions and obviously similarly with uh, Yanta and James uh, who will be on the networking session afterwards for everybody who wants to join us we'll share the link shortly and um, we'll share your details as well I think probably for the next half an hour it might be just worth talking generally about what businesses can do to try and adapt uh, and we're not going to answer everyone's specific questions I don't think in this session so we'll probably do that if that's okay with you guys so um uh which leads me on to um well these sort of leads me back to the question i asked james earlier is about this expectation things is i'm still because we i'm only asking this because i've had a lot of questions myself here at the fashion network about how the smaller brands can compete in terms of customer expectations. I know, can you just tell us briefly, James, that Avalara or maybe Yanti, you can help out with this a little bit, can't you? In terms of making that experience a little bit easier and flawless. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, through, through the technology side, in terms of dealing with customs and duties, like just to expand on what I mentioned earlier, Avatax being a, a tax engine designed to be able to calculate customs duties and import tax and have it correctly displayed for the customer so that they can evaluate the true costs and make an informed buying decision as well as the hs code assignment service that is kind of really step number one with anyone looking to tackle brexit in any sort of form obviously registrations and and that side of things that yanta looks after is very important as well but um, speaking from the kind of the, the technology side of things, HS code assignment, first and foremost, for your customs declarations, having your goods um, correctly assigned. And this, this relates to global sales as well. Having a, having a correct HS code, country specific. Now, one code will serve the EU. Um, whereas if you're shipping to the US, you'll have a code for the US for that one product, Australia and so on. But yeah, addressing that really as kind of the first one of the first boxes to tick. And we've actually really got a useful um, Brexit hub on the Avalara website, which I thoroughly recommend everybody bookmark. There's some really good checklists on there. You can go on there, look at some of the, the content that we've released um, in the in the run-up to Brexit and post-Brexit. But um, yeah, from, from my side on the technology side of things, yeah, we'd make it easier by either auditing your existing HS codes or assigning your um, product list in a 
the correct HS codes going forwards. And we, we can do that as a project or we can do that, you know, offer you a subscription. So we know a lot of um, fashion retailers will add seasonal lines throughout the year. So you can have a subscription. So you know that you've got a kind of a process in place to say, all right, we've got our autumn lines coming out. We can upload that product information to Avalara. It'll get classified. We'll have it on file. So, you know, it's, it's there for um, there to be used. So that really is as the first step. And then obviously with the, with the, the technology with, with Avatax, which, which plugs into your e-commerce platform, um, essentially that's there to determine the correct tax treatment for the, for the, for the transaction. Okay. So I want to move on to sort of like um, opportunities and stuff and, and what people can do going forward. Just to sum up what we've spoke about. So obviously we've talked a little bit about rules of origins being a bit of a headache Obviously, tax compliances has been a bit of a headache, as well as getting the paperwork in place has been a bit of a headache. Uh, it seems to be that maybe what Divya was saying is like perhaps with regards to the EU, you maybe want to pick your fights initially and figure out which markets are most important for you and uh, which aren't. But I thought that was a really good point, actually. And, you know, it's. Um, I think it's really good advice and it's certainly something that's, that's come up in conversations just to add feedback to that. You know, I, I often speak to somebody who's who's kind of approaching this as a, as a problem area for them. Sorry to jump in, by the way, but, um, you know, and quite often they've come back and they've kind of maybe identified a couple of key markets and said, OK, that's that's the focus for now and maybe just have to kind of disregard some of the smaller opportunities. Paul, you, you came off me. For a second, do you want to jump in as well? I was just going to say, and it, it picks up a couple of questions. Um, if we look back to the UK's exports to the EU before this, from a fashion and textile point of view, they were 76% of the UK's exports um, going, going into 2020. Uh, obviously, COVID has given made it almost impossible for us to know what all things remaining equal would have looked like. But we're certainly seeing a lot of companies taking their foot off the brake. Um, the biggest challenge, I would say, for some of our smaller designer businesses, and I can see that you've got smaller designer businesses here, is that, again, going back to the rules of origin, the assumption was made that goods could be brought from the EU into the UK and then re-exported on a business to consumer basis. But unfortunately, once those goods come into the UK and they go through customs, even though they're EU origin and would meet the rules of origin for that agreement, if you then re-export them after they've been in general circulation in the UK, they would attract 12% duty plus VAT when they go back to the EU. So a lot of a lot of our designer businesses who have very little customer base in the UK but manufacture in the EU may find that it is worth their while investing in some form of logistical solution where the goods don't come into the UK but stay in the EU and that they use the tax and the VAT um, solutions there and physical solutions to get the goods to the customer and save 12% plus plus that. It's exactly the same thing that we would, we would advise somebody to do if they were selling to the US, for example, rather than having goods hopping over, over the Atlantic as well. So it's, it's, not, um, it's not an unusual occurrence, but it's new for us, of course. Thanks, Paul. Um, so we've talked quite a bit of about the headache and we've seen quite a lot of comments and questions about the headaches what are there any opportunities uh, that have popped up over the last few months um does anyone want to mention anything about that you know yeah sure um, Dale. i just i'd expand on one thing that paul mentioned there i mean if you there are you know our, our customers that we speak to who are looking at other opportunities outside of the eu don't want to you know they can see opportunities elsewhere and the us being one of them obviously being such a huge market um it's a big part of what we do as well to help avalaris um is help retailers sell into the us so if there is you know deemed to be an opportunity in other markets particularly the us and canada then essentially avatax and our solutions you know they're, they're all designed to help with us sales tax compliance as well because you know we're seeing um, an increase in companies looking to understand sales tax obligations in the us because their rules have all changed um since june 2018 um there's economic nexus which is basically um 
economic threshold. So if you sell 200 units or $100,000 worth of sales into a particular state, then you're essentially liable to collect and remit sales tax or if you have stock located in in any states there then that's deemed to be physical nexus and that's that's going to trigger an obligation for you as well so we've just got just one, one question i will read out here actually yes uh, taking paul's example of keeping the logistics within the eu for example distributing our spanish supplier factory do we need an eu entity in order to get the benefits of vat and duty you're not um, I can see Paul nodding, but I would disagree with that. I I generally recommend against opening an entity in the EU because then you're looking at additional forms of taxation other than VAT. Um, If you're distributing from your Spanish supplier, you're going to need a Spanish VAT number, um, a Spanish non-resident VAT number, but not necessarily an entity unless, um, Paul, you disagree. No, I, I don't disagree. But what we are finding is that certain countries, Spain, Portugal in particular, are not very good at, um, at providing the information that UK companies need to get the information in. So depending on the size of the business, you may want to you may want to have more of a setup. But you're absolutely right. The more the more sophisticated the setup, the more it's going to cost you. I think our big concern is that you know, the, the larger brands can do this, they'll make the investment, they probably have already made the investment, um, but the smaller companies won't be able to because we are talking quite large investments here. So yes, you're absolutely right, it's not for everybody. Yeah. If I can offer some sort of positivity there is the larger markets, Spain, France, Italy, have all waived the requirement for fiscal representation for UK businesses. So the the process of registering is slightly easier than for other non-EU businesses. Yeah. On that fiscal point, uh, there's a question from Pippa uh, Yanta. Can you let us know where we can look to see where countries require fiscal reps and which don't? They seem to be constantly changing. I am going to just pop um, a link to our website in the chat. And so you you can just check it there. We have all the uh, latest up-to-date information. Uh, And I think I interrupted Divya there. Divya, did you want to say anything? No, just off the back of what um, yourself and Paul said, the other option you could look at is fulfillment centres, depending on where, you know, um, if if it is, I mean, B2B, uh, B2C because now you see more and more people setting up B2B um, fulfillment centres as well as B2C um, so that's another option as well if you don't want to actually physically set up an entity overseas um, in in one of the European markets. And there's a nice question that's come in actually that's that's perfect for our last quarter really which is could you sum up how Brexit is going to affect fashion as a whole are we going to see a lot of damage done We've just seen who reacts the most first. Do you want me to go first? I was resisting the temptation to come to you, Paul, first, but go ahead. I I (laughs) I knew you've got something to say on this. (laughs) I mean, I've got something to say on most things, as you probably worked out. Um, Businesses, once they know exactly what the the situation is, will respond very, very quickly. Um, British businesses are extremely robust. Um, one of the challenges that we've had is that they didn't know what they were getting ready for. Um, so everyone was saying, get ready, get prepared, make the switch and get going. But actually, nobody knew what they were getting going to. Um, my expectation is that this deal, although it's a thin deal, is the deal. It's not going to change dramatically in, in the next two, three, four, five years unless something remarkable happens. So some of the short-term glitches that we see with parcel companies erring on the side of caution and, and mis-declaring things, that will get better. But the nuts and bolts of this deal will be the nuts and bolts of this deal for uh, the next future, the, the, the closest, the next period of time. So what I'm expecting we will see is that companies will adapt to that very quickly. Um, and my, my general feeling is that within six months, most companies will have decided whether they are changing the way that they do things, whether they're bringing their manufacturing back into the UK, for whatever reason, whether they are investing more in logistics, the other side of the English Channel, uh, if that's where they decide to go, 
um, or whether they're going to change their business model already. I, I think on the damage side, the, the, the thing that worries me is that our London Fashion Week type designers traditionally all manufacture in the EU and don't have a huge um, customer base in the UK because we don't tend to buy at those price points. So those companies have got perhaps some slightly more painful decisions, but it's a little bit like opening Pandora's box. Once you open Pandora's box and look at everything, you can sometimes make decisions which actually save you money. So one of our logistics partners in Holland that we've been working with, because it's one of the easier places to work with, is actually beginning to save some of our textile companies money by bulk shipping, consolidating, Brexit was the catalyst for making those companies look at their logistics in a different way. So there can sometimes be a positive side to Brexit. Okay, um, so we're getting into the last 10 minutes now. There's another comment here about dropshipping. I don't want to tackle that today. <laughs> uh, we are looking to do a dropship masterclass, actually. Aaron, thanks for pointing that out. Um, but I want to just talk about how I want to go around the panel now and just think about what you would do if you were heading up a brand as an e-com manager or whatever it may be. So if we can just do a little bit about final uh, summaries here. But before I do, I just want to thank, um, obviously, you all for taking the time today for doing this. Um, thanks. Avalara for obviously sponsoring this. Um, for those that have got specific questions, like I say, if you haven't got the contact details for all of our speakers, um, we can, if you just email us, uh, Fashion Network, we'll share those details for you. Uh, and also we have got 15, 20 minutes speed networking immediately after that. My colleague Scarlett, who's lurking around in the background, will share the link for that. There you go. Uh, so yeah, you can come and join us for that, or you can email our speakers directly. P probably for this talk, it's probably the only talk of we've had so many uh, inundation of questions, really. So uh, uh, you guys might get inundated after this, which which which, which will hopefully be good. So just want to talk about. Um, I might come to Yanta first. So just in terms of preparing for the future, obviously we've talked about the headaches. We've talked a little bit about uh, the opportunities, I guess. Um, can you just tell us what your thoughts would be in terms of prepping for the for the media and long term future, and, and you know, and not not just within the whole context of the EU actually, because obviously there's a big bad world out there now. So, would you want to sort of share your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I wish I had you know a lot of good uh, good news to share. Unfortunately, I don't. Um, in terms of prepping for the future. Um, as we saw with Brexit, even if you are 100% on top of things, it's sometimes impossible to be prepared, um, especially with all of the new changes coming up in July. Um, you know, applications should have already been open for a one-stop shop, an import one-stop shop, but they aren't. Um, so even if you have the best of intentions, it's still going to be quite difficult um, to, you know, to, to, to make sure that you are prepared. Um, VAT is complex. I don't know if anyone uh, feels the same as I do, but um, it's incredibly complex and it will de um, depend on your specific situation. So um, I just want to say that if if you do have, if anyone listening does have a specific situation they would like to discuss, then I would be more than happy to um, have a separate call uh, on that. Um, because when it comes to VAT, it's just it's too difficult to just give really one answer uh, to say what can you do to be prepared, as it will depend entirely on your business model, your funds, your resources, etc. Yvia, can I come to you next? Just you know, if you could sort of sum up a little bit, if you if it's possible with this topic, but some um, things you would think to prep. Yeah, I mean, it's it's slowly settling down it really is um, and people are finding new markets so that is the plus side of it because um you know they are looking at other english-speaking markets and and sending goods out there as well so um it will settle down there is resource out there there's paul obviously uh, james and you know and, and everyone at avlara and, and and myself so please use us all um to help you that's what we're here for um we are getting different queries day by day but um at the end of the day that's you know that's what we're here to help and hopefully we can all overcome this together but it's just to let you know you're not on your own no matter how big or small you are everyone is having issues so for the smaller companies don't think that it's just 
heading towards you and you know you don't know what to do even the larger companies we've had them come to us for advice and support I had a company with a 70 million turnover um, and they had a query that we were helping to resolve so just don't think you're out there on your own please use us as support that's one takeaway today I think that's that's one valuable takeaway to be fair it's always nice to know that you're not in, sometimes I think, especially in the smaller businesses well, and bigger businesses, in my experience, sometimes it's just being out there on your own. James, I'll come to you um, next, if that's okay. Just uh, what your thoughts to, you know, how you would prep if you were. Yeah, sure. Good question. I, what I would be inclined to do is obviously take take advice from the likes of Davinia um, and Paul and then essentially invest and scope out the right technology that's going to manage things for you. So you've got the right processes. You've got scalable solution that's in place. Um, you know, all, all too often we've, we've seen people go down the manual route. Um, I'll touch on HS codes again. If you're going down that route and assigning it yourself, fine. If you only sell a handful of products, but uh, if you've got a, a vast product catalog, for example, then, you know, you need, you need some form of automation to a, help you um, ensure that that's done correctly and and then naturally with uh, tax calculation as well so um, investing in the right technology and you know having a thorough discovery into all the solutions that are out there you know obviously there's logistics solutions and uh, e-com solutions there's there's everything everything's all been designed to help you so um, yeah use technology to your advantage thank you and then paul Lastly, by my no means leastly, uh, do you want to just sort of give us your summer? So it's obviously sort the vats, sort the vats, sort the duties, and sort the logistics. Sort that's that. it. I mean, the devil's <laughs> in the detail on this, isn't it? So, so whatever you do, um, and, and in the chat beforehand, we were talking about. I don't know if you've read the books. Who moved my cheese? <laughs> Brexit is about somebody moving everybody's cheese. Um, So you're going to have to look at your business in a holistic way. Anything that you do to mitigate one problem could potentially create problems in other parts of your business. Um, I forgot to mention earlier on that one of the other things that has changed is labelling, garment labelling. So we've spent a lot of time trying to make sure that companies have garment labeling and on the on the UKFT site I know you're sending out the details later there is a Brexit part of it and there are some details there on on what goes in the labeling it's it's not straightforward as as Ianthi said about the VAT there are 27 different regimes for garment labeling now in the EU as well but um, we are working with our members trying to get them to come up with a, a package that, and that enables them to deal with all of those things. But do please make sure that you check whatever it is you're doing. Start from the bottom up. Never suspend your disbelief and don't be afraid to ask the right questions. I think asking the right questions and not being afraid to ask people for help is quite critical. I think a lot of businesses out there are thinking, I'm the only company that's facing this problem. You're not. Although the press isn't particularly talking about this for reasons that we can only guess about, that most companies are sitting there thinking, how do I I change my business model to make it Brexit efficient? Uh, And I think that's what it is. Thank you, Paul. Uh, it's been a fascinating talk. I mean, it just seems that now, obviously, ra- the, the, the Brexit thing has happened, but obviously it's now, I guess the rest of the world is is like this anyway. So it's a case of those businesses that are used to trading overseas in North America or the Asian region or whatever. They're probably more used to this than, yeah. than others, would that be fair to say? So, you know, it's, like I say, every cloud in many respects, I hope we want to leave people with some sort of positive residue here obviously I think there'd probably be a little bit more headache to 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 come from what most of you have said um I hope we've tried to sorry I'm sorry um Dale I was just going to leave on a more of a positive um Department of International Trade at the moment have a grant up to 9k in the northwest to help businesses with international trade, to help them to export, um, even covering rules of origin um, and exporting in in general. So, you know, please get in touch with your local advisor and see if you can tap some of this funding to support your business and to help it grow internationally. So there is money there 
um, additional money so you know that you can use um, you, you guys aren't going anywhere so so obviously you know <laughs> people can get hold of Divya and Paul as part of the, part of the government and, and I recall there's a £2,000 grant for Brexit preparedness as well isn't yes. it Divya? Yes, there is. So people who've not um, ever had to do any customs duties or, um, you know, and don't understand the paperwork and what is needed, there is a £2,000 grant to help you um, understand that to use on training and um, also to understand like, the processes as well. But that's a separate pot of money. Thank you. Thank you, guys. We're coming to the end now, so our time is up. I'm sorry for everyone out there if we haven't answered everyone's questions. It's just obviously with a topic like this and the time we've got, it's, it's not possible. But uh, Yanta and James will be with us uh, if you want to join us for that networking session. It'll be about 15, 20 minutes, maybe 30 tops. Uh, Divya and Paul are both available. Uh, their details, if you haven't got that from the Zoom meet today, then just email us. I'll share our email in a bit. And we can just, we're free to connect you, aren't we, Paul and Divya? Um, yeah, and the only stipulation with yeah. Divya is obviously you're northwest based, northwest of England. Yes, I am, but happy to connect you to your local team if you're struggling to get hold of someone. Brilliant. And then obviously, James and Yanta, we're, we're more than happy to connect. The audience with these two as well um they're, they're uh, james and yanta there to answer your questions they'd love to come and help and work with your businesses i really appreciate your time guys it's been a quite a, a large topic to try and cover off unfortunately we can't go for a glass of vino just yet maybe in a few more months we could do and i look forward to doing that uh with you all uh here's if i can just click here's our email so we're more than happy to connect everybody with you with you there thanks a lot guys give yourself a round of applause and hopefully we will see you all again soon so uh thank you very much thanks bye -bye. Very much. thanks all bye.